We have come here this morning not to take part in something new or novel, but something that is historic, something that is rooted in a foundation of truth. We have come here to look at the very Word of God. And so we have not come here this morning to hear from a man, but we have come to hear the Word of God proclaimed and expounded. And why is that? Well, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, the Apostle Paul says that all Scripture is breathed out by God. It is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man and woman of God may be thoroughly equipped and competent for every good work. The psalmist in Psalm 19 says this, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure and it makes wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right and they rejoice the heart. The commandments of the Lord are pure and they enlighten our eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever, and the rules of the Lord are true and they are righteous altogether. And then he says this, More to be desired are they than gold. That is why we are here this morning. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. They are sweeter than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. And in keeping them, there is great reward. So we have come here this morning that our hearts might rejoice in the word of God. That simple people might be made wise. That we might be warned and that we would receive a great reward from God as we take the time to focus our hearts and minds on his word. And so we've been teaching through the book of Acts, and we're going to begin this morning at Acts chapter 17, verse 10, and I'm going to read that for you. It says, The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica, and they received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Many of them therefore believed, with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea also, they came there too, agitating and stirring up the crowds. Then the brothers immediately sent Paul off on his way to the sea, but Silas and Timothy remained there. Those who conducted Paul brought him as far as Athens, and after receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him, as soon as possible, they departed. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we have come here this morning to feast on your word. We pray that you would open up our hearts and minds to understand what you have placed here. As you have spoken through Luke, as he was inspired by your spirit, May the truth of these words open up our hearts and minds to all that you are and all that you have done for us in Christ. May you feed your people this morning. May your word be proclaimed. We thank you for the opportunity of being here in Jesus' name. Amen. Now as we look at Acts chapter 17, verse 10 to 15, 
And as we study the Bible, we always have to remember that words have meaning in context. If you were to take one of the books that you have at home that you might be currently reading and you would flip open a chapter and you would pick a, a little paragraph and you would read that paragraph and then someone might ask you, well, what does that mean for you? How does that apply to your life? And the answer would be, I have absolutely no clue. And the reason that is, is because one paragraph does not make a book. It's only in light of what that book is actually saying as we follow that along that we come to an understanding of what that paragraph means in light of what's being written. And then and only then can we take that and apply it to ourselves and begin to think, well, what does that mean to me? And it is the same as we go through the book of Acts. The book of Acts is a historical narrative. It's not a history about you and me. It is a history that Luke has recorded for us. This thing is really bothering me. By the, uh, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But it is a particular history. Many things are included, but many, many more things have been excluded. For as we read through the book of Acts, we realize that Almost 30 years are covered in this history, and yet we have these very few pages. And there are so many more things that have transpired, but yet the Holy Spirit, as he inspired Luke to write these things down, inspired him to write these particular things in this particular order. And so in order to understand what Luke is writing in Luke 17, 10 to 15, we must know how he has laid out the book of Acts and somewhat of the context that these verses come to us. And so I want to invite you to turn back to Acts chapter 1, verse 8. For I believe that this is one of the ways that Luke has outlined the book of Acts. I think if you read through the book of Acts, you will see that this is the case. And in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, it would be, if you call it the topic sentence or the thesis of the book of Acts, and and what is happening in the book of Acts needs to be understood in light of these words. There were words of Jesus to his apostles, but he says, But you will receive power. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so keeping that in mind as we look at the first verse of this text that we have for us this morning, it says, The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived there, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now, On the surface, those words don't seem all that exciting. They're just documenting a historical fact. But in light of the words that we have just read, this is the fulfillment of a promise. This is the accomplishment of a purpose. This gives us insight into the character and nature of our God. Because Jesus promised that his disciples would receive power when the Holy Spirit came on them and they would be, he says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And so as we're reading through Acts and we see the apostles coming to different places like like Antioch and we see them in, in Lystra and Iconium and Thessalonica and Philippi and they are preaching the word of God, what we see is that Jesus Christ will fulfill his promise and he will accomplish his purpose. And this is good news for us this morning. In Numbers 23, 19, the Bible says that God is not a human that he should lie, not a human being that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? Isaiah forty six ten says, I will make known 
the end from the beginning, from ancient times what is still to come. I say, my purpose will stand and I will do all that I please. This is what we see God doing here in Berea. God is fulfilling his purpose. God has designed from the beginning of time, from before the foundation of the world, that Christ would come and that Christ would come into the world and he would purchase men for God from every tribe, tongue, language, and nation. That he would build his church and the gates of hell would not prevail against it. And this is what is happening in the book of Acts as we see the gospel moving forth from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to Philippi to Thessalonica and now coming to Berea. And so for us this morning, it is good news that we have a God who does not lie. That we have a God who will fulfill every promise that he has made to us in Christ. That as we sit here, we know that one day, that we have an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for us if we are in Christ. We may be sick today, but we know that one day we will receive a glorious body. One in which there will be no more tears, there will be no more suffering, there will be no more pain. Why? Because God fulfills all of his promises. And if you are sitting here this morning and you do not know this God and have not surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, know that God will fulfill his promise that he says, all who will come to me I will no wise cast out. That all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. But know this also, if you are here this morning and you are outside of Christ and you do not look to Christ and you do not put your faith and trust in Christ, God will also fulfill all of his promises. And he will one day judge all sin. And he will one day pour out his wrath on all of those who have not trusted and believed in Jesus Christ. Going to church does not save you. Coming here and listening to the Bible preached doesn't save anybody. It's only when we see Christ in the scriptures, when our eyes are opened to Christ, that we come to faith in Christ, and then all of the good promises of God are ours in Christ. For every promise of God is yes and amen in Jesus Christ. And is this not what we see our brother Paul doing here in Berea as he proclaims the scriptures to these people to show them that all of the scriptures proclaim Jesus Christ. Jesus himself said in John 5 and verse 39, as he was talking to the Pharisees, he said to the Pharisees, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. But it is they that bear witness of me. And that's exactly what the apostles have been doing all the way through the book of Acts. They have been showing the Jews and proclaiming to the Jews that all of the Old Testament, everything that came before, all of what the prophets had said, all the promises of God to Abraham, all of this found its fulfillment in Jesus Christ. Paul proclaimed that in Thessalonica, and here he's doing it in Berea. And these people, he points them to the word of God. He points them to the scriptures. But notice something else. It says, the brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. Now, how did Paul and Silas come to be in Berea? And the answer is persecution. They were chased out of Thessalonica. And I believe if you take the time, and I invite you to do this, and you follow through the book of Acts, and I'm going to take you through a little bit right now, 
you will find that one of the means that God uses to accomplish his promise or to fulfill his promise and to accomplish his purpose is persecution. Because even when people come against the gospel, they cannot thwart the plan of God. They cannot stop the promise of God from being fulfilled. Persecution will not stop it. As a matter of fact, persecution will bring it forth and will accomplish all the purposes that God has sent it for. And if you would look in Acts in chapter 4, you would find that Peter and John were being threatened. That they told them, do not speak anymore in the name of Jesus. And they were threatened by the leaders, the Jewish leaders at the time. And what did their threats bring about? Well, it says that after they were threatened, the apostles gathered the people together and they began to pray. And the purpose of God was beginning to be accomplished. And as they prayed... They prayed to God, and God gave them, it says, they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God boldly. So as persecution began to be coming upon them, they went to their knees, they prayed to God, they were, they were filled with the Spirit of God, and they proclaimed the word of God boldly. In Acts chapter 5, we find the same thing, except this time the apostles did receive persecution. It was no more an idle threat. They were proclaiming Jesus again, and it says in Acts 5, verse 40, And when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak any more in the name of Jesus and let them go. So what did they do? Did they go back with their tails between their legs and say, Oh, Lord God, can you stop the persecution? No. What did they do? They rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name of Jesus. Because they trusted the promise of God. And Jesus had promised in Matthew chapter 5 to the apostles that if they would be persecuted, that that persecution would bring them blessing, an eternal blessing. And they trusted that. They trusted that God in the midst of this would bring about their good. They rejoiced, counted worthy to suffer for the name. And then it says, and they were quiet then? They were silenced? No, every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. And before I go on, I would like to say to us today, the world in which we live would love to silence us from speaking of Jesus Christ. It's very popular today to talk about God in general. God is good and God loves you. But to say that there is no other name under heaven by which men must be saved in the name of Jesus Christ, that is unpopular. The words of Jesus that says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Maybe people will tolerate that, but this. No man comes to the Father except through me. This is not tolerated. And unfortunately, I believe that today we have allowed them to silence us. Because we don't believe that people will hear. And so we think, well, what is the use? Well, look what what Paul is doing here in Acts chapter 17. He just got thrown out of Berea. He went into the synagogue. He was proclaiming Jesus as the Christ. They kicked him out of town. As a matter of fact, if you go back to chapter 13, you will realize that this is an absolute pattern. In chapter 13, he goes into the synagogue at Antioch and they run him out of town. He goes into the synagogue at Iconium and they were coming and plotting to stone him to death. And so he gets chased out of town, out of Iconium. He goes into Lystra and the stoning actually happens and they leave him outside the town for dead. You think now that Paul would get a a new idea. He thinks, I've got to come at this a different way. This is not very popular. 
I better proclaim something else. Maybe I'll tell you that God will make you healthy, prosperous, and he will bless you, and he loves you, and just wants to invite you in, no matter what you do, no matter what you think about Jesus Christ. This is what God wants for you. No, he continues to proclaim that Jesus is the Christ because he knows that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. He says, I am not ashamed of this gospel. Because it is only through Jesus Christ that anybody will be saved. And we have to believe as we look out upon the world in which we live that every single person that we walk past who is outside of Christ is under the judgment and the wrath of God. And if we believe that, how can we say that we love people if we won't tell them about the only means that is there for them to be taken out from under the wrath of God and brought into the mercy and the grace of God? In Acts chapter 7, we find Stephen proclaiming this very gospel. What happens to him? They take him outside of the the city and they stone him. But God's purpose will prevail. And we can see this in Acts chapter 7. This this gets good. So after they, they said they took him, they cast him out of the city and they stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And it says, And as they were stoning Stephen, Stephen called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And Saul is hearing this. And he fell asleep and died. And then it says, And Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. Do you remember Acts chapter 1-8? The gospel will go forth from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria. How? Under the persecution of the church, the gospel and the people of God are scattered into Judea and Samaria. And what does it say? Except the apostles. It says, devout men buried Stephen and a great lamentation over him. Then it says, but Saul was ravaging the church. And entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. And so the people said, that's enough. We can't talk about this anymore. No. Now those who were scattered went about preaching The word. And persecution is driving this forward. And notice it's Saul himself. Saul, who becomes Paul, who is the man that we are looking at in Acts chapter 17, verse 10, was persecuting the church. But God had a purpose and God had a plan. And as Saul went to Damascus in chapter 9 and he was persecuting that church, Jesus Christ met him on the road. And Jesus Christ came to him and said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Why are you persecuting my church? He says, go into the city and I will tell you what you must do. Saul didn't sign up for this charge. Saul was commissioned by Christ. In Acts 15, Ananias is told to, or in Acts 9 and verse 15, Ananias is told to go to Saul and to tell him this. And it says, the Lord said to Ananias, but the Lord said to him, go. For Saul is my chosen instrument, he's a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. And then he says, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. And all of a sudden, the persecutor is going to become the persecuted. And we follow on in Acts chapter 9, and he goes into the synagogue, begins to proclaim that Jesus is the Christ. They chase him out of town, he's lowered by a basket out of town, and he goes on his way. We're not done. In Acts chapter 11, we find in verse 19, 
It says, now that those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen, that same persecution in Acts 7, those that were scattered traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of the men of Cyprus and Cyrene who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists, also preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. And this is significant because it is this very church in Antioch that in the following chapter, in chapter 13, is going to send off Paul and Barnabas as missionaries. So Saul himself, while he was persecuting the church, was accomplishing the purpose of God. Do you see that? God was was moving the gospel forward through Saul as he persecuted the church of God so that these people were scattered, so that these people in Antioch would come to Christ. And these very people in Antioch who came to Christ because of Saul's persecution were the ones who sent him out on his two missionary journeys. And it just continues on, Acts 13, 14, 15, 16, persecution, moving the work of God forward. And so we find that God has ordained for persecution to bring Paul and Silas to Berea. Now, what does this have to do with us? I think we can make an application here. Paul, in talking to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3, after recalling some of the persecutions in Acts chapter 13 and 14 to Timothy, he says this, he says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. The word is is all. All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. It's the same thing that Jesus had said to his apostles in Acts chapter er, in John fifteen, where he says, "If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you." And we have to ask ourselves a question. Are we being persecuted? Because if not, maybe we do not live a godly life in Christ Jesus. Maybe the world doesn't hate us because we are one with the world. Maybe we are just like the world. Maybe the same things that the world is pursuing are the same things that we are pursuing. Maybe because we are so concerned with our comfort that we will not proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ because we fear the very persecution Maybe the reason we are free in Canada is because we are not free enough in our proclamation of the gospel. Maybe if we, and myself included, would proclaim Jesus Christ boldly, maybe we would receive the promise of God and the promised persecution that goes along with it. We are in a battle. A battle for the hearts and the lives and souls of men. People are doomed to an eternity in hell without Christ, and will we not tell them the truth? Paul and Silas were more than willing to take what came with that proclamation. Not only the bad, but also the good. And we see in in Acts 17, starting at verse 11 then, that now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica, for they received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. And notice the contrast that Paul is that Luke is making here. Acts seventeen one to nine, the Thessalonians and the Jews in Thessalonica, and their response to the message, and the response of the Jews in Berea. 
These Jews were more noble than the Thessalonians. Why? Because they didn't just sit and listen to the preaching of the word once a week. The Thessalonians, you will notice, it said in verse 2 of chapter 17, Paul went as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the Scriptures. Notice, on three Sabbath days, once a week. But you see what's happening in verse 11. It says, now with eagerness they were examining the Scriptures daily to see if these things were so. They had a hunger for the Word of God. They wanted to find out, is this really true? Is this true what you are saying? Because I need to find out. Life and, and death are, are in the balance here. Is, is Jesus who you say he is or not? And for some of you this morning, you may have been coming here for, for many, many years. And you hear the word of God once a week and you go home and you hardly open your Bible. You do not examine the scriptures to see if the things that are being spoken are so. But God has ordained the word of God as the means by which he accomplishes his purpose. It is the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of truth. Romans ten seventeen says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. When John New read the chapter from 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2, it says, Like newborn infants, crave the pure spiritual milk. Crave the pure milk of the word, that by it you may grow up in your salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Do we want to grow up in our salvation? Do we want to become like Paul and Silas and boldly proclaim the word of God in truth? Maybe the reason we are not as bold as these men is because we are not filled up with the word of God. Maybe we haven't grown up in our salvation. Jesus in his high priestly prayer in, in, in John 17 says, Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. God wants to grow us up. He wants to sanctify us. And, and will we eagerly examine the scriptures to see if these things are so? And if you do not know Jesus Christ today, I challenge you to read through the Word of God and eagerly examine these scriptures to see if these things are so. Because this Word will bring you salvation. This Word will bring you peace with God. It will bring you peace in life. It will make you right with God. The God who you've ignored. The God who you have dishonored. The God who you have not thanked for the very breath that is in you. God has given to all men life and breath and everything else. He deserves all honor. He deserves all glory. He deserves all worship. And if you are not doing that, he will judge. For he is also a holy God and he is a righteous God. He cannot put sin under the carpet. This is why Jesus Christ has to be proclaimed. That's why they're proclaiming Christ from the scriptures and consistently proclaiming Christ. Because he's the only way. Because either Christ, as he was on the cross 2,000 years ago, bore the wrath of God against your sin, or you will bear that wrath. Either God judged Christ in your place, or you will be judged. Either Jesus Christ is your hope and your salvation, or he will be your condemnation. And he is the one who is coming to judge the living and the dead. Now notice what happens, though, when people pay attention to the word of God. It says, many of them therefore believed. 
But you notice earlier on, in Thessalonica, in the beginning of verse 4, it says, some of them were persuaded. What is the difference? It is our response to the word of God. It is your response to the way it was these people's response to the word of God. It says that therefore, many of them therefore believed. What is the therefore? Therefore, it was because they nobly pursued the scripture. It was because they went into the word of God and eagerly sought to hear from God and to see if these things were so. Therefore, God, using his means to accomplish his purpose, worked salvation in their life. Notice what happens next. But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea, they came there to agitating and stirring up the crowds. So it wasn't enough that they rejected the word of God on their own. Now they came and wanted to disrupt the preaching of the word of God to others. And isn't that often what happens when, as God's word is preached... It is a two-edged sword. It cuts both ways. The same sun that melts the wax hardens the clay. The same word of God that brings freedom and life also proclaims condemnation and death to those who will not receive it. The same word of God that, that comes and softens the hearts of some will harden the hearts of others as they continue to say no to that word and continue to put off that word And so this morning, if you are here and you have been hardening your heart to Christ, God has numbered your days. You don't know whether you will be here tomorrow, but I can guarantee you this, that one day you will see Jesus Christ and you will know the truth. For one day every knee will bow. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The question is, will you do that today? Because all all of God's promises are going to come true. And if you will repent and put your faith and trust in Christ and Jesus Christ today, all of the grace and the mercy and the love of God will be lavished on you for all eternity. But if you do not, Rejecting a holy God and sinning against an eternal God has eternal consequences. You will be separated from the life of God forever and spend an eternity in hell. I invite you to search the scriptures and see if these things are so. And finally, what you see here is that that this goes on again. For as these men from Thessalonica come to persecute Paul and Silas, they run them out of town. Do they give up? No, we find Paul. What does he do? Look at this. And in verse 16, he leaves town. He's brought to Athens. It says in verse 16, Now while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogues with the Jews and the devout persons in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. And it goes on from there. He talks to the philosophers. He talks to everybody he can. He doesn't stop. He's just been run out of town and run out of town and run out of town. He finds a synagogue right away and begins all over again. And to anybody else in the marketplace who will hear. And so this morning, as we we wrap this up, I want to 
conclude because I know that in a group this size, there are at least three different kinds of people represented here this morning. Some of you are like the Jews in Thessalonica. You've studied the scriptures. You've come to hear them proclaimed. And you've missed the entire point. And you can't, you may be able to fool your wife. You may be able, as young people here this morning, to fool your parents. But God knows all. Religion does not save. Jesus Christ saves. And it's only when we come before him and we admit that we are rebels against God, that we are sinners against God, that we deserve the wrath of God, and turn to him and say, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. And recognize that we have we've repelled him, we have dishonored him, we have not thanked him, we have not lived for him, and yet he has given us everything we have, and we repent and we trust in Christ. And so if you are here this morning and you have, have not turned to Christ, recognize that today is the day of your salvation. And for us who are Christians, for those of us who know Jesus Christ, the question is, will we, and myself included, it's easy to stand in front of a group of people who are friendly. It's another thing to go into my own neighborhood. But will we proclaim Christ? Will we learn how to proclaim Christ? Will we study the scriptures and study other things so that we can learn how to proclaim this gospel? Because guess what? The promise in Acts 1.8 that Jesus made, that the gospel would go from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth, when he made that promise, he promised you and me. That gospel came to you and me. And it brought us into a right relationship with God. It brought us in, in, into to the fullness of God's grace and mercy and all the promises of Christ. Because Jesus Christ kept his promise. But Jesus Christ has given us a commission. And he has said that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. Therefore, go into all the world, including Parksville and Oceanside and your neighborhood, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Will we obey the command of Christ, or will we, we, and myself included, keep silent and disobey the command of the one who saved us and has given us everything by his grace? And so we, we pray that, that all of us, like Bereans, would eagerly examine the scriptures that have been spoken this morning and that we would respond according to the word of God, not according to the word of man. That we would see and hear the very words of eternal life, that we would turn to him and follow him all our days, trusting in the great promises of God that are theirs for us in Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that that your promises can be trusted. That you never lie, that you always speak truth. We thank you that over the centuries you have brought this word of God down to us that we might also 
hear the truth and see the truth and come to faith in Christ and receive all of your great promises and all of your promised blessings in him. Father, may we not be silent about this great gift. May we not be silent about the God who saved us. And may we go out from this place trusting that that you will build your church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. May our trust be not in our ability to speak and our eloquence, but may our trust be solely in, in the power of God who brings salvation to those who hear the word of God and come to believe. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.